Hello, 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 and welcome to episode 45 of Break the Cycle with me, your host, Joshua Smith. I hope everyone is having a wonderful Tuesday night. Uh, we're going to start doing a lot more shows soon within the next week and a half or so. It's going gonna, it's gonna to start going to about five shows a week, which I'm pretty excited to do. Also a little nervous. Hopefully you guys will continue to support the show. we got really awesome guests coming up. So I'm super, super stoked about it. But let's start off with some sponsors as per the usual. Lorenzotti.coffee for all your delicious Italian coffee needs delivered directly to your door. Bring the taste of Italy home. Use BTC at checkout for a 10% discount. And toplobsta.com where you can get this awesome dark camo break the cycle custom hoodie. Nice stuff. Or this wonderful break the cycle couch pillow that you can cuddle with while you watch episodes of break the cycle. Use BTC at checkout for a 10% discount. You won't. You will not be disappointed with Top Lobster's designs. I promise you, if you like the thumbnails for the show, you're going to love his, his, his gear as well. And uh, executive producers of the show, AnthemPlanning.com, for all your emergency and crisis needs. Check them out today. See what they can do for your business or your personal life. They're amazing. They're doing a job that the government sucks at much more efficiently and much cheaper. All right, guys, we've got an awesome guest today for you. I'm really excited for this one. Uh, she is an organizational psychologist. She is a uh, Libertarian Party of New Hampshire me member, which we're probably going to get in today, into today. And she is the world's most dangerous knitter. She is Carlin Borisenko. How are you doing tonight, ma'am? I'm doing well. Nice to be here. Good, good. Hey, thanks a lot for coming on. Uh, yeah. l let's just uh, talk about your journey. So I, I watched you. Uh, I didn't, I didn't know who you were until this New Hampshire stuff came, you know what I mean? Like I know, mm -hmm. I, I knew that you were involved in it somehow, but, but I went and checked out your channel and I saw this, this wonderful speech that you gave at the walk away at this huge walk away rally. It was passionate. It was powerful. Uh, it really made the Democrats and, and lefties sound pretty shitty. Uh, you know, it, when, when they start infesting your knitting club, there's an issue there, right? You want, one would think so. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I've definitely had a weird journey. I was a Democrat for 20 years up until um, uh, February 2020, when I had gone through this journey of like realizing the Democratic Party were full of it and that the media was lying to me, totally red pilled and ended up going to a Trump rally in New Hampshire um, right before the New Hampshire primary last year. And just, you know, meeting all of the Trump people. And I was scared. I'm gonna be honest. Like I was scared. I thought Trump supporters were like bad, bad, bad people. And I went, I realized I was like, they're totally normal and they're really nice. And Trump rallies were really like they are like really fun legitimately. And basically, I just left the Democratic Party and I wrote this viral article on the Internet um, that I didn't know was going to go viral, obviously, when I wrote it. But it did. And um, just in it, I ended up, um, you know, touring the country with the walkaway campaign last year. We went all over the place just trying to get people to wake up to red pill to leave the Democratic Party. And, you know, here I am. <laughs> sure, but now you're but now you're in the Libertarian Party. So. Is there, yeah. I mean, what, what was it that, that deviated? So we, we'll get into some more of the, the, the policy issues with the Democrats and Republicans, but what was it specifically? I have my, my day when the GOP walked away from me back in, you know, in, in 2008 and then again in 2012, both times because Ron Paul got screwed over. But uh, what was it for you where the GOP walked away from you? Well, I will say, like, I actually didn't uh, leave the Democratic Party and join the GOP right away. I'm, I left and I became an independent. And everyone was telling me, Carlin, you're a libertarian, you're a libertarian, you're a libertarian. I was like, yeah, well, that's probably true, because I basically just want to be left alone and I don't want the government involved in things. But then, of course, the Libertarian Party, like, from my perception, kind of sucked. I was like, I'm not joining the Libertarian Party. That's a horrible idea. And especially after um, Joe Jorgensen said Black Lives Matter on Twitter and Gary Johnson followed right up and agreed with her. Like, I was, when I was touring with the walk 
walkaway campaign. We went to Dallas, Texas, and a group of us were legitimately accosted by a Black Lives Matter mob around the same time that Joe Jorgensen tweeted Black Lives Matter. And the crime we committed was standing on the sidewalk. So I was like, screw, screw that lady. Like, I don't I don't want anything to do with that. And I kind of had just like turned my brain off to it. And, you know, when I, I ended up joining the Republican Party not too long before I left the Republican Party, um, mostly because like the energy was so good leading up to the election. I, I thought that maybe they were going to continue to fight and continue to evolve as a party. It is a it was well it was a very Big Ten atmosphere where they were getting all these new people in. There was like LGBT people coming into the party, African Americans coming into the party, and it felt really good. And then the election happened, and then January sixth happened, and it all fell apart and the party splintered and it just became crazy and I was like I don't even know what this even stands for anymore and I remember the moment that I started kind of looking back at the Libertarian Party um, it, it actually started with James Lindsay on Twitter you know James Lindsay? I do yeah absolutely yeah, so James Lindsay is a good dude. I love that guy. Like, you know, he's he's the best and he started getting into it with Nick Sarwark on Twitter one day God bless him. And, I had heard Nick Sarwark's name, but I didn't really know who he was. But like, if someone's getting into it with James Lindsay, I'm going to go and defend James Lindsay's honor because he's the king. And so I started getting into it with Nick Sarwark, having no clue who he was. And this happened to be right before the uh, New Hampshire Libertarian Party convention in March when he got noted. So people saw me publicly going at Nick Sarwak, and then once he got noted, everyone started like texting me like, Carl, did you hear what happened? I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. And then, <laughs> and then, and then I kind of started looking at the Mises caucus, and then I ended up going out for beer and a pretzel with uh, Eric and Ben, who are both in the New Hampshire Libertarian Amazing Party. Guys. And Amazing. no, they're the, they're the best. And they, you know, the, the linchpin was they handed me a pamphlet that had the top eight priorities of the Mises caucus. And I was looking at that thing. I was like, I'm on board with like all of this stuff to greater or lesser degrees. Like, you know, and more so because I think that we need to be moving in that direction just sure. overall. But the big thing for me was I have been asking the GOP for some sort of platform and some sort of vision for the last year and a half. And all of a sudden the libertarians come along and they give me a pamphlet that has an eight point vision. And the excuse I got from the GOP was, you know, we just don't want the government to be involved, Carlin. We can't give you a plan. We don't want the government to be involved. I was like, if the libertarians can give you a flipping plan and the GOP can't, there is something wrong with this equation. True. So I just started to get more and more annoyed with just the amount of whining that was coming out of the GOP and not any sort of action to go along with it. And all of a sudden, like the Mises caucus was there and I started just like interacting with their groups. I was like, these guys are awesome and they're fighting for something and they're organizing. And I agree with them. And if I think that the GOP is going to lose everything anyway, then why would I compromise my values to be part of a crappy party when I could lose and be a libertarian? <laughs> right, right. I mean, if you're going to lose, nobody knows how to lose as good as the libertarian party. Trust me. Nobody That's is as I'm good saying. at losing as we are. Uh, we, we are starting to get some wins, though. And, and for the first time since the 70s, we actually got uh, some state legislators elected. Um, we've had several state legislators since the 70s that have flipped. Uh, we had uh, uh, actually state senator um, uh, uh, Laura Ebke from Nebraska, and then we had three right there in your uh, state of New Hampshire um, that actually unfortunately did not make it uh, back into the state legislature after flipping. But um, you had uh, uh, 
Joseph Stalkop, who came from the Democrats and flipped to a, a, a libertarian, and then you had Brandon Finney and uh, and uh, uh, God, there's one more, but I'm, I'm my brain is not working today. Twelve hour shifts really mess you up. But anyways, so we had three there, um, but now we finally have gotten some state legislators elected. Uh, we're winning all kinds of local elections all over the country. Uh, we got Justin Amash now, which is you know, to, uh, for all intents and purposes, it's it's a good thing. You know, uh, I'm I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of the blue pill guys, but he's you know he looks good on paper for us. So, um, but you're in New Hampshire. You know, this is I am. this has been an absolute mess. Uh, you're you're in a different position than I am. I sit on the Libertarian National Committee. I am an at large representative. Uh, I'm sure all my my supporters and fans know that already. They've been watching. Uh, they've been watching me just try to slay everybody I can on the board because it's been such a problem. Uh, but what has been your, so this is your, basically your welcome to the libertarian party has been this drama. I have to, and I have to tell you, like I knew about this from the moment it started because I'm, 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 I was in their communications committee signal group, and all of a sudden the signal group started going off with like, you know, I can't get into the Twitter account. What is going on? And so I was witnessing this madness from the very beginning, and what an introduction to the Libertarian Party it's been to see all this kind of play out. But from my perspective, kind of overall big picture, and I'm sure we can talk, you know, the details about it. I actually see this as a really good. Thing as a really positive direction. I think that sometimes things have to get worse before they get better. And all through the course of this, I, you know, I was, I was trying to tell them like, I actually think this, the Mises caucus especially is going to come out the big winners in all of this, because quite frankly, Gilletta and, and, you know, uh, Joe Bishop henchman, they look crazy. They look like conspiratorial. They look like they're they're hatching a plot. They're they're basically doing what um, the SJWs do uh, with critical race theory, which is they're projecting all of their own nonsense onto the Mises caucus. And it's just it from as a kind of outsider that or at least a, a newbie libertarian to watch it play out. I was like, it is so clear to me who are the good guys and who are the bad guys in this scenario. Sure. Yeah, and it, and it is to it is to a large portion of the party too. That's the thing is like there's so many people who have emailed us. I mean, 5,000 emails over the last week. And Crazy. and all of them are in support of New Hampshire having the rightful board be their board members, in support of Karen Ann Harlos not being removed, blah, 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 blah. I mean, it's been... And and, and these these members that wanted to, to remove the uh, rightful XCOM are doing that in the face of this. You know what I mean? And, yeah. it you know, there's a lot of other stuff, too. I've talked a lot about it on the podcast. I mean, it was like not just that. It was like Tucker Coburn voting to disaffiliate a state in his own region and then having to resign because all the state chairs were like, uh, no, fuck you. You're you know, we're going to kick you out. Uh, and 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 if and if the other board members can see that happening and not go, hey, maybe these states don't want us doing this shit. I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know what their purpose is there. Well, no, I mean, the whole thing, and and actually one of the things that I really appreciated was, frankly, all the resignations, because that would have never happened in the Republican or the Democrat Party. It would have never happened. They would have just sat in their positions, and they would have, like, trusted that no one was going to do anything about it. So I actually did appreciate that uh, Tucker Coburn did resign. I appreciated that Joe Bishop Henchman resigned. Um, And, you know, watching that all play, uh, you know, this might sound odd, but I've been... I have been more privy than a lot of people to like the backroom dealings of Republican politics in the last year. Mm-hmm. And so to see it play out in the open, everything extremely transparent, to be able to read the emails, to be able to see what was going on, that actually gave me kind of a lot of faith 
to say like this is not a good situation and obviously there's a lot of nonsense and politicking going on but we can see it and when you're in the GOP and even like you know as close as I was I mean like you know I I, I have like very high level connections in the GOP and it's still such nonsense and everything is is just underhanded and so it was actually kind of refreshing if that makes any sense sure, sure yeah that's and that's something that Karen and I Karen Ann and I have always pushed for is more transparency we want the board the, the party members who pay to keep the party afloat because that's I mean we really run on memberships I mean we're, we're running right. on less than two million dollars a year okay we're talking about going up against financial juggernauts like the Republicans and the Democrats who are running on hundreds of millions of dollars a year and we're running on two million dollars a year and that's that's the majority of that is made up by our membership and so we need to be transparent we need to let those people know that we're pushing for a freer society and they then they you know there's going to be fights on the board because you're, we're all elected to to, to uh, represent the will of our delegate of our delegates and of our uh, uh, constituents but we have to we have to do it in a way that we may not always agree with, but we know that we're representing those members, and so it's it's it is good to be in open. It is it absolutely is. So so, anyways, uh, let's talk a little bit about your your your. Actually, can I say one more thing on this point because I think oh. this is something that you might appreciate, okay. and I think your viewers might appreciate okay. it. So I actually do a show on my. This is kind of a fun thing. It's a fun thing. I don't take this as seriously as it might come across. I actually do a show on my channel on Tuesday nights. It's going to be right after this, called Nothing Remotely Controversial, where it's me and a psychic, and I basically we talk about the news, and then he works his psychic magic to try to predict what's going to happen. And so last week, I actually had him predict. I asked, "Was Nick Sarwark involved in colluding with Gilletta to overthrow the Libertarian?" party of new hampshire and the answer that came back was absolutely yes and there was also a third person involved who i have suspicions it might be his wife i have suspicions but i'm Shocking. not gonna you know it's, it's a psychic it's a psychic i'm just i'm just reporting what a psychic has said so no one can take me seriously yeah no uh my fiance actually watched that episode and she said it was the funniest thing she'd ever seen she was she, she said i think i think maybe i was down here doing a show and she was upstairs in the bedroom and she said that she was like hysterically laughing and couldn't stop now it's something i need to probably watch too but there's no doubt in my mind that nick sarwark was a part of this i mean there's just no absolutely no fucking doubt whatsoever there's no doubt that his wife valerie is a part of this they're shady conniving assholes they always have been they move around from state party to state party bringing chaos everywhere they go nick nick was the chairman of this party for three terms three terms and he and now he gets noted by for treasurer of a state party i got i got elected treasurer for a county party once by going to the bathroom Okay, and this man got beat by Noda for a state party after being the chairman for three for three terms. There's a reason for that. People can see your bullshit now. He let it all go during this COVID shit. You know, it was like it was like during within the lead up to the, the the national convention in 2020, he just acted like a petulant child all the time to the point of where it was like nobody wants to work with you anymore, bud. Nobody wants to work with you. We've all seen how you deal now. He used to be one of those conniving backroom handshaking guys. And and thankfully, because I was on the board and I tell everybody everything, uh, we brought all his bullshit to the light. And and he knew he he knew he was done. That's why he didn't run for chairman again. Uh, but he did push his wife into getting on the board now. And now, right after all this shit happens, now the first thing she's brought up is we need to figure out this chairman thing because oh, I because bet. The, their next their next step, in my opinion, my humble opinion, if I was a psychic. I would be saying, you know, uh, I believe that Miss Valerie Sarwark's probably going to nom nominate hmm, Nick Sarwark to take over the chairmanship of the Libertarian Party, and we're going to say a big hell no. But the board members that are currently there may they may they may vote in in agreement, you know, and and that's that's a possibility. But uh, even if that happens, it's one year until national convention, and then he gets BTFO'd again, you know. Well. 
I will ask the psychic tonight if Nick Sarwak will be up for the chairmanship of the party again. <laughs> sure, sure. You can uh, you can ask him too if he's actually uh, part of the CIA. That would be a good one. Uh, <laughs> I will as well. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so let's talk about the your departure from the the, the Democratic Party and then the Republican yeah. Party as well. I mean, when you left, so you you kind of swung hard the other way as far as your your uh, walk away speeches that I've listened to. You swung pretty hard away from that. SJW woke culture, mm-hmm. uh, which is something that I speak out against a lot. I think it's uh, cancel culture and, and woke culture and, and the, the SJW culture. It's killing a lot of just normal, like American culture in general. Um, not just, you know, this white supremacist, this, this huge white supremacist bigotry uh, boogeyman that I always hear about. I, I have not encountered white supremacists around every bush like some of the Democrats do. Um, but were there any policies that you held on to when you left from, from the Democrats? Well, the thing of it is, is I don't actually feel like like, oh, the white supremacists have found your chat. Um, I actually don't feel like uh, I actually changed my values in the course of leaving the Democratic Party. I feel like the Democratic Party left me. It's kind of like one of those classic cases. And the thing of it is, is like, you know, after Obama got elected, my brain was turned off to politics. Like, I did not care. I was just like, I don't really care. I don't know what's going on. Like, you know, I was focusing on building a life and building a business and finishing graduate school and just doing doing normal things that normal people do. And the thing of it is, is like when what what happened for me, it was two things that kind of woke me up to what was going on. First off, all of my friends started losing their mind after Trump was elected. Now, I didn't like that Trump was elected. I may have cried when when I found out he won. I may have been like really upset for a minute, but I'm also a normal human being. And I was like, life goes on. This is not the end of the world. Everything is going to be fine. But all of my friends lost their minds at the same time. And they all kind of got sucked into this like critical race theory, social justice mindset. And they became pod people. And all of a sudden, one day they were like, Carlin, shut up and listen to black people and i was like you were normal a week ago what has happened yeah. like like why like how, why do you think i'm not listening to black people but it was just like this ongoing argument and then what really happened was social justice took over my knitting community and that sounds i know funny for people who you know haven't seen one of these takeovers but essentially what happened is these social justice warriors were just going around bullying businesses harassing people trying to get them to say what they wanted to say um and it actually got so bad that one individual was harassed by like hundreds and hundreds of people was mobbed very brutally publicly and he ended up having a nervous breakdown and going into the hospital on suicide watch it was really bad and so at that point i like i did my doctoral dissertation about workplace bullying so i knew what bullying looked like and I was like, I'm not okay with this. And that was kind of started my journey to waking up. So I don't actually think that my values really changed. I just think that I wasn't paying attention. And because I was a Democrat, I became a Democrat in the 90s. Like 90s Democrats are totally different than what they are today. And so I just think that it was kind of a natural realization of this party no longer represents me. They've gone off the cliff and I got to go. Sure, sure. Absolutely. So you've been dealing with some stuff over the last five or six days. Uh I, I don't know what you're talking about. I wasn't aware of this. I, I guess posting uh, my thumbnail that had you in it, I stepped at a huge pile of it, though. Uh, oh, yeah. W- let's talk about critical race theory. And I'm going yeah. to tell you, before we start this, okay, I have always viewed CRT as an anti-white ideology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not a white supremacist by any no. means whatsoever at all. Uh, I am I am probably the opposite of white supremacist. I, mm-hmm. you know, I don't I don't I don't think it's bad to be white, but I also am not like, hey, I'm cooler than everybody because I have blue eyes. Like I don't care. Um, mm-hmm. But I have always looked at CRT as an anti 
I mean, at least anti-white and anti-black, but definitely anti-both of those things, too. But I do see the anti-white side to it when you're, mm-hmm. you know, basically teaching kids to hate themselves for who they are, or who their ancestors were, or what happened in history. So what is, why don't you, you are much more versed in CRT than I am. So, so what, okay. why don't you explain so, CRT for my, my viewers? So, 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 okay. So here's the thing. I want to preface this. It is fake news that I believe that everyone who thinks CRT is anti-white is a white supremacist. That is fake news. Okay. I do not believe that at all. And I, and it, you know, I understand it. It is a completely reasonable position to take when you don't know that much about critical race theory. You're just being, it is an extremely complex topic. And I understand why people think that. So, um, but what happened for me is, you know, I've been in this fight against it, like really on the grounds, working with everyday average ordinary people for a, a year and a half, like almost like full time. And so I'm I'm very uh, I understand it at a very advanced level. And then just because I I watch all these diversity trainings, I see curriculum in the schools and all that good stuff. Well, about a month ago, I started seeing all of this anti-white language come up because you have to understand that it really like the anti-white terminology was not all that prevalent in everyday mainstream up until about a month ago. Sure, onesies and twosies here and there, but really we were talking about it in very different ways. And I started noticing this language coming up just at these small in-person events I was doing. So I didn't notice it online first. I actually noticed it in person. And it, it started to bother me because every time I would say something like to the effect of, well, let me back up. Here's why critical race theory is not anti-white. Let's 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 get this out there. Um, critical race theory is racist against everyone. Critical race theory is incredible race, incredibly racist ideology that basically starts with the assumption that racism has occurred in any situation. So what is it's an academic ideology that started in kind of law schools in the 1970s. And the basic premise is that racism exists everywhere, in every person, in every institution, in every interaction. And the job of the critical race theorist is to suss out how racism has occurred in every single scenario. So it does start with that base assumption that everything is racist. And then it has an, a little oppression hierarchy where it says, you know, whites are at the bottom of the oppression hierarchy, blacks are at the top of the oppression hierarchy. And then we have like Native Americans, Latinos, um, you know, Jews are in there somewhere, um, and they and it, it, Asians well, are in gosh, there somewhere. Gosh, I hope the around. Jews were in there somewhere. Jesus. Well, Jews are actually close to the bottom, though, so don't get too uppity. Oh, you know, I'll, Jews are close to the bottom. Yeah, don't. I, I'll try not to. I'll try not to get too uppity here. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, so so it, it but it really is a it is a racist ideology that impacts everyone. And you know, I'll give you an example. Like, of course, it impacts white people because, as you said, white children are being taught that they are oppressors in schools. I mean, I've helped break cases where um, as, uh, high school students have actually been forced to admit that they were oppressors as a condition of graduation. I was the person that broke the Coke be less white story. So I am I am well aware that it, it is targeted um, in that direction. But what a lot of people don't understand is that it's also targeted at the other races. So think about what it's like to be a black child that's taught that you will never be successful in the world because of the color of your skin. You will always be kept down. There's nothing you can do about it. That's incredibly racist. Think about what it's like to be an Asian child who you have to work, you know, 30% harder to get into Harvard than a white student or an African-American student because they're held to higher admission standards. Or if we talk about the rise in anti-Asian hate crimes, that is a legitimate thing. But the media wants to blame that on white supremacy. And we can't even have a rational conversation about it because according to the FBI, African-Americans are committing more hate crimes against Asian-Americans. That's the community it's coming from. We can't have that discussion because of critical race theory, which means the problem can't be solved, which to me is an incredibly racist thing. So what I try to get people to understand 
is that does it target whites? Absolutely. But does it also target blacks and Latinos? Latinos, they don't even care about. Latinos, they don't even mention. Um, so it, it targets everyone in different ways. And what people need to understand is that this is part of a larger kind of plot to destabilize our system. That is what critical race theory is about at the end of the day. It's about destabilizing the system. It's about um, really destroying these institutions from the inside, because what happens when they destroy the institutions from the inside? They can build them back up in the image of Mao, which is really what they want at the end of the day. I mean, the reality is, and I know people don't like to hear this, we are undergoing a cultural revolution in this country that is very similar to what happened in China. I don't even know if we have the ability to beat this back. And if we're only focusing on one aspect of critical race theory, which is it's racist against whites, that means we are missing the bigger picture. And it's also inhibiting our ability to fight back against it because it just frankly makes us all look like a bunch of racists. Sure. So so I guess my, my biggest question um, mm -hmm. is, so so the same people who are teaching CRT, right, are the same people who are saying that, that, that blacks can't be racist, right? Yes. And so we're putting, if we're putting the whites at the bottom of the, at, at the bottom of the, the oppression hierarchy and mm -hmm. saying that, you know, blacks are most oppressed and... Uh, you know, but blacks can't be racist. I don't see how CRT can be considered. I mean, from the people who are teaching it, from the perspective of the pe people who are spreading CRT and teaching it and p pushing in our schools and stuff like that, how they, how they, I mean, we could see it as like, okay, telling a black person they'll never be anything, uh, in life because of white people is, is, is racist. That's a racist thing to say 100%. Mm -hmm. But from their perspective, perspective they're only basically saying that whites can be racist in in, in crt uh no 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 because it, it is a hierarchy of oppression right so so asians can be racist because asians are typically lower on the hierarchy um and it really kind of depends but the thing of it is too is that you know there was a, a flyer that went in the uh the smithsonian african-american history museum last summer that said that only white people could tell time only white people could work hard which if, if we look at the inverse of that that means that black people are incapable of working hard black people are incapable of telling time they're incapable of functioning in a meritocracy if you are telling people that they can't work hard and you're again teaching this to children when they're younger when they're when especially in elementary school where it is being taught by the time they're four years old or like starting at four years old anyway that's incredibly racist it is it is the soft bigotry of low expectations and if you are teaching people from a very young age that they can never achieve anything in life that is a form of child abuse so far as I'm concerned, if you and especially if you teach it to them before it's they're eight years old, that's going to cement in their brain and it's going to impact the entire rest of their life. I mean, at the end of the day, listen, critical race theory was invented by a bunch of white, bougie academics who see themselves at the top of the heap. Do you really think that a bunch of white, bougie academics are going to invent an ideology that is going to take them out of their status? Of course they're not. The whole goal of the ideology is to keep us fighting each other so that we're not fighting them. Sure, sure. Yeah, I just, I don't, I, it's, it's, it's hard for me to see. Uh, it's essentially, you know, CRT is, the whole narrative is built around like, okay, well, blacks have been oppressed for all, all of history and so... Now the whites need to understand that they're the oppressors and this mm -hmm. is how it needs to be. So to me, that sounds like an anti-white thing. You know what I mean? And, and I know that James, James has, Lindsay has also said, stated that it was an anti-white thing for a while. I don't know if he's still holding on to that. Well, 
Okay, but, so so hang on. So so can can two things be true at once? Yeah, yes, that is, they can. <laughs> they absolutely can. But I just wanted to make a case because I had mm-hmm. watched some of your stuff uh, where you were, you know, saying that people were white supremacists. I've I've seen some people in my chat here who are probably going to get kicked out. So I get it. Um, These are legitimate white identitarians in your chat, by the way. That those this is legit. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I could see that. I could see that. Mm-hmm. I could see that personally, okay? I get that. Um, and, you know, I, I can moderate my chat, too, uh, personally. It's not very easy for me, uh, which mm-hmm. I don't appreciate you guys trying to get my, my YouTube channel shut down. That's pretty fucking shitty of you. Thanks, assholes. Uh, but anyways, um, so so what do you, how do you think that we combat CRT, then? What do you, what do you think needs to be... Because, look, there's a lot of movements in this, in this country. I mean, shit, Richard Spencer and some of his Nat Soches, like connected themselves to the Democrats and, and Biden. I mean, all kinds of different movements here are going to attract all kinds of different people. I get that. But how do we combat the actual practice of CRT in our schools and stuff? Yeah. So, I mean, there, there's there's several different things we can do. There are a lot of states, including Iowa, including Idaho, including Tennessee, including Texas. My state of New Hampshire completely fucked this up. But a lot of states are banning the teaching of CRT in classrooms, which is which is a good step. But what people need to understand is that the teachers are already saying that they're going to ignore it. Um, so that's not really the end game. How we start to combat CRT is we have to change the culture. We have to be working in our local communities. People have to be going to their school boards. They have to be keeping an eye on what their kids are learning. Um, I mean, best case scenario, they homeschool their kids. Um, we have to be passing school choice legislation. I actually want to I like I'm actually going to be working in the next leg- legislative session in New Hampshire. I want to get get a bill to put cameras in public school classrooms so that we can see or that parents can see what their kids are learning. They can see actually what the teachers are teaching, because there are a lot of teachers out there that are lying to the parents about what they're teaching. They're teaching critical race theory and then saying, oh, no, we're not. We're just teaching this other stuff over here. So that really the first thing we need to do is parents really need to get involved. They need to pay attention. uh, And they have to understand that what's going on in the school system now is not the same thing as when they went to school. Hi, kids. Do you like violence? Are you sick to death of pussyfooting around the truth while being constantly fed lies by news and big tech tyrants? If so, then come join me, Dan Smots, on The System Is Down, where we get weird, have fun, and dig into all the dangerous taboo topics like conspiracies, politics, religion, culture, current events, and everything your family just prays you don't bring up around the Thanksgiving dinner table. And I know that reality is scary to some people, so if you're easily offended, just ignore this and go back to making cat memes or whatever. But if you're ready to change the world for the better, come join me on The System Is down at tsidpod.com or wherever you get podcasts that's tsidpod.com because the system is down and truth is taking over i also think that there's something to be said for the fact that um listen like we all have to learn to be much more understanding of each other and i think that what i've seen on both the right and the left it's like horseshoe theory right like the extremes on both sides are becoming so negative and so aggressive and everything that the other side does is wrong and bad and in negative intent is read into everything human beings have to start to take some responsibility for their own actions and how they're contributing and we have to acknowledge that a collectivist society whether that's a collectivist society on the right or a collectivist society on the left, is not good for anyone. The ideal that we need to be striving for is a society that rewards people based on their individual merit, how hard they work, how they show up. And frankly, we've got to come back to a colorblind society, which is not that we don't see race, 
but that we don't treat people differently on the basis of their race. True. I'm going to, uh, I got some super chats. I want to shout out all my, all my yeah. Thanks, sir. Two of them. Everyone is united against Sarsuck. You're absolutely right. Rich Clark, yeah. Sar Sarwark, forget Mo, send the fed back to the feds. I like it. Thank you. Uh, outlaw barber, my Royal LP bloodline makes me a high chancellor now. Thank you, sir. Uh, almighty BJR 15s took out the dinosaurs. Okay, I think that's all the super chats. Okay, thank you guys, especially Almighty Beach, one of the biggest supporters of the show. I appreciate you, dude. Um, and some some people have said this in the chat, and I'm I'm going to bring this up because you're a libertarian now. You're part of the Libertarian Party, mm -hmm. and uh, with libertarianism comes one of our our core principles is is freedom of association. Okay, mm -hmm. and and I'm sure you understand that. I don't know how much I don't know how much libertarian philosophy and literature. I read. understand that okay. people are allowed to be white supremacists. I just don't right. think it's a very good idea. Right, and and so, <laughs> okay, okay. That's I mean that's where we're going. It, you know, you you come from the Democrat side. It's it's a harsh reality that for libertarians, some libertarians to come to terms with the fact that we have to let some people hate as long as they're not acting mm -hmm. on that hate. Um, or they, you know, or they're allowed to be proud of whatever the hell they, if you want to say you're proud of your backyard soil, that's fine too. I get it. You know, uh, it's not really my thing. I'm not a nationalist. I am sure anybody who follows me knows I'm not a nationalist, nor am I a, 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 a racist or an identity and identitarian of any sort. Really? I don't really care. Um, but I mean, is that, is that, Coming to the libertarian uh, ideology and philosophy, is that something that was hard for you to kind of come to terms with at all? No, not not at all, because fundamentally, I mean, I'm like a highly spiritualized person, and I believe that we're all here to do different things. We're all here to have different experiences in this lifetime and on this planet, and I believe there are very legitimate reasons that someone would come to this 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 part of their uh, human experience, and, you know, maybe they want to experience what it's like to be in a legitimate hate group. Hey, man. That's your choice. But the reality is that I don't have to let you follow me on social media and sure. I don't have to give you free access to troll me. And, you know, the biggest thing that, that the, the people that are kind of taking over your chat right now, they're offended that I'm taking away their access to troll me on social media. And so they're trolling me through you. And, you know, it's a sad thing. And I'm really sorry about it, man. I did not anticipate kicking the hornet's nest of the actual white supremacist movement in this country five days ago. It's been an interesting ride. I'll tell you what. But I think the the bigger issue for me is... um. A lot of people think that this is not real. A lot of people think that what is currently happening in your chat and what's been happening to me for the last week is not real. They think that this is because and it's and it's the left's fault. It is the Democrats fault because they have called everyone and their mother racist and white supremacist for every minor infraction for years and years and years now. And so those terms have completely lost their meaning. And so when someone like me raises their hand and they're like, I think this is actually a problem, like these people are actually real. And I think there's more of them than we think. Everyone thinks that it's just crying wolf. It's not crying wolf. And I do think that people just need to be aware that this is a real problem. And this is the natural backlash to critical race theory. This is the one thing I have been talking about this for dang near a year that I've always been worried about is that a legitimate white power movement was going to arise from critical race theory because life is about balance. If the pendulum swings too far in one direction, it's going to go back in the other. And the left has been telling white men for years, you're nothing. You're toxic. You know, we're going to give other people a, a job over you purely because of the color of their skin. That is wrong. And the left created this problem because they were harping on white men so much. And I don't know why they didn't think it was going to backfire on them at some point. And now it's starting to. And I think there are a lot of angry white people out there that are finding each other and communing around their angst and their collective frustration with what's going on. 
And I understand why they're doing it. But I think that we need to start turning this around because this is going to become a problem. And again, people can do whatever they want. You can think whatever you want. You can say whatever you want. I don't really care. It's none of my business until you're impacting my life. And then it becomes my business. Sure, sure. Absolutely. And I and I, I mean, you know, I get it. I, that's the other side of the uh, the freedom of association, right? It's like, I don't have to I don't have to listen to you. I don't have to deal with you. I don't have to let you into my chat. Um, have you so I saw some other stuff going on and they're saying in the chat too, but like as far as deplatforming, is that something that you've pushed for 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 some oh, people? Oh, never. Never, never, never. Now, now I am not going to deny that okay so here's here's the big thing that uh that that offended the white supremacists so there's a woman by the name of lauren witzke she's the republican nominee for senate in delaware she had sixty thousand followers on twitter when she came out and called for the deportation of my husband oh geez. and started to yeah exactly exactly was calling for the deport is still to this day calling for the deportation of my husband on whatever channel she's on now and you know what like i'm sorry I'm not going to be your best friend if you call for the deportation of my husband, who have 10 years, the love of my life, the person that is more important to me than ever. And so a couple of days after she was, you know, ranting about deporting my husband, she got banned on Twitter. I don't think it was because of that. I, I didn't report her or anything. Like, I don't think it was because of that. I think it was because of something else she did. And I was like... I'm not upset about this. I'm sorry. I'm I'm just legitimately not upset. And, you know, people were upset at me for not being upset. But the thing of it is, is I've also come out, you know, advocating for people. Like, I actually advocated for Nick Fuentes, who I think is a horrible, vile, vile human being. I advocated for him when he got put on the no-fly list, which I thought was complete bullshit, because to the best of my knowledge, he hadn't done anything to deserve getting put on the no-fly list. But, of course, I get no credit for that. I The only thing that I take heat for is not being upset that Lauren Witz he got banned on Twitter. Is is did Nick Fuentes get he got put on a no fly list? What the fuck? He got put on a no fly list. Yeah. What, what did that happen for? I have no idea. It's just like he went to go on get on an airplane one day and they told him he was on the no fly list. And I was honestly, I was like one of very few people to come out and say, Nick Fuentes is not a good person, but this is bullshit. Jesus, that's wild. I didn't know that. I didn't know that happened. And and uh, you know, Dave Dave Smith gets a lot of shit because he's had Nick Fuentes on his show, and I don't I don't know much about Nick. I I know that he said a lot of shit that I don't agree with, but he also has had like socialists that he agrees with on his show, and I don't agree with socialism literally at all. Uh, I'm I'm about as anti-communist as socialism as it comes. Um, where was I? Oh, so when you left, you what did you leave the GOP part? Like the GOP. I I I guess I mentally left it before I actually left it. I actually left it a couple of weeks ago. I just had to go to town hall and fill out the form. I think I mentally left it a while before that. Oh, you know what? Actually, it was at the end of April. I know exactly when it was because it was the day we had an anti-CRT rally on um, at, at the state capitol in New Hampshire. And I happened to have a Mises caucus meetup that night. And I walked into that meetup and I was I told Ben, I was like, I am done with the GOP. F the GOP. And I was like, and that was kind of like it. So I, I it was very recent. It, there was not there was you know it's actually kind of funny it is actually related to lauren whiskey why i ended up like ultimately joining the gop in the first place because i had mentally made the decision but i actually went to town hall at, when i was scheduled to be in a debate with her um and a couple other people on elijah schaefer's channel slightly offensive and the debate was about should lgbtq people be allowed in the maga movement and i'm very like i like i toured with the walkaway campaign man like i have like a lot of gay friends and so i'm very pro lgbt people doing whatever the heck they want and i thought that the 
the MAGA movement was a, you know, a big tent party. And so I was on the pro side of that debate. Lauren Witzke was on the con side and she started trolling me on Twitter like several days before. And she was like, you'll never be a member of the Republican Party. And so to kind of troll her, I just went to town hall and I filled out the form to change my voter registration. I was like, ha, really, Lauren? Because now I am a member of the Republican Party. Like, what are you going to do? So um, it was a really quick trip. I, I refer to it as my one night stand. Like joining the Republican Party seemed like a really good idea after a couple drinks. And then I woke up the next morning and I saw what it actually was. And I was like, this is just not my best decision making moment. It really just wasn't. Sure, sure. Uh, we got a we got a uh, super chat from Kuro Shin. Uh, do, do you think that preference for your own people is the same as supremacy? Um, when you're framing it in terms of a white well-being movement or a white positivity movement and you're telling people that they should only be concerned for white people and not be concerned for black people or brown people or Asian people, um, yeah, I do think that that's a little supremacist. I think when you're telling people that they should be concerned for one race and not another race, that's a little bit racist. Sorry. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, I don't I don't know if I don't know if I agree with that or not. So I'm not going to, I'm not even going to argue it. I don't know. Guess I don't, what? I don't know. We're allowed to disagree. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we're allowed to have different opinions. Where, where did you stand on the, 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 the insurrection of January 6th? You know, I was actually there. I was there. I was on, I was, I actually got interviewed by the FBI for sending two sarcastic tweets from the Capitol lawn, which was a fun experience that I never thought I would have. Yeah. So, I mean, being there was a different experience than like seeing it on TV. Um, I mean, what I saw when I was there was a huge mob of people, like 50, there were 50, a hundred thousand people on the Capitol lawn. And like, what I saw was like people waving their flags and chanting their chants. And there was like, you know, there was like this white cloud off in the distance and people were like casually saying, Oh, they're tear gassing people. I was like, what do you mean they're tear gassing people? Like, why are they? I, I thought this was a rally. And so I like and I ended up getting closer and I ended up getting tear gassed, which was, you know, another fun experience I never thought I would have. And, um, you know, overall, I think that the, the whole situation, I had a moment of clarity when I was standing there watching the whole thing unfold where I was like, I know exactly how the media is going to spin. This. this is not going to be good. And I think they did exactly what I expected. I do not believe it was an insurrection. I think that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. I do think there were a lot of angry people there. And I actually, again, this is another in instance in which I was one of the few people defending the right on this one to come out and say, like, this was not an insurrection, but I'm really glad a lot of people on the right found their voice because I think a lot of them hadn't spoken out. I wish people hadn't broken into the building. I wish that hadn't happened. I do not agree with that. I didn't go in the building. Um, but I do think it was completely distorted in the media. Sure, sure. Okay. So so a lot of people have called you a leftist plant and and, <laughs> and they throw around, they throw around the word grifter a lot, which is a oh, word that dude. I get literally every day someone calls me every a grifter. Day. Every day somebody calls me a grifter, but it's usually people from my own party, which is hilarious to me. Uh, they call me a grifter, and I'm like, I actually, I believe all the shit I'm saying, you fucking idiots. That's what grifting is, is saying a bunch of shit you don't believe for money. But uh, let's let's play a little game, the, the are you a leftist game. Where do you, sure. stand, where do you stand on taxation? Uh, theft. Theft. That's, that's a hard one. It's hard to call yourself a leftist and say that. Okay. Where do you stand on uh, endless wars? Uh, not good. Federal Reserve. Not good. Okay, we're getting there. We're getting there. I, I don't know if she's a leftist, guys. I don't know. I don't. It's it's getting a little hard. It's getting a little hard. Uh, let's see. CRT, ban it. Bad. 
bad ban, news. Ban it. Bad news. Ban it. Completely ban it. So Well, okay, not like I'm not in favor of banning speech. I will say this. I'm not in favor of banning speech because that's like First Amendment and I don't think we should be banning speech. I am in favor of banning the teaching of it as objective truth. Okay. Important clarification. Right, right. What about public schools? Um, no, I, dude, like if you had asked me six months ago, I would have been like, I think public schools are okay, but like, I think school choice should be around. I am now completely in the defund the schools game. I, I, I don't think we should be sending a cent of our taxpayer money to the schools. Okay. No. Foreign aid. No. Like, why are we giving our money to other people? Not even no. Israel. No, I mean, no, not, no, not really. I'm not like a, like Uber pro Israel person. Good. That's, I, I have Israeli roots from my dad's side and I'm still like, no. Mm-hmm. Stop sending money. Uh, let's no. see. I'm trying to think. Drug war. No. Dude. <laughs> no. Well, welfare. Uh, no. Okay. You guys, this is getting really hard. I don't think she's a leftist. I really don't. Okay. Like, listen, listen. A lot of people made a lot of money grifting on the MAGA movement. Like, a, lo- a lot of the people who accuse me of being a grifter made a lot of money, much more money than I did grifting on the MAGA movement. Do you guys really think I would go from being a, Rep- a Trump Republican to a Libertarian as a grift, like, am I grifting on the Libertarian Party? That's the dumbest there's thing no, I've ever no heard. There's no money in the Libertarian Party. There's let me, no let money. me let me tell you guys all right now. There's no money to make in the Libertarian Party. <laughs> uh, I watched all the people grifting. I, I watched a lot of people. Not everyone was grifting with the MAGA movement. There was a lot of people who were legit in the MAGA movement. But I watched a lot of people grifting in the MAGA movement while I was over here working in the Libertarian Party. Going, man, it must be nice to make all that money in politics, huh? I, uh, you know, I I think I made. Uh, Let's see. My first chair run, I made enough to fly to the states I needed to go to for my uh, for my national for my state conventions, uh, and that was about it. I sacrificed everything else in my life to do it. Uh, it was it was pretty rough. So uh, let's see. Yeah, and the thing of it is, too, is like I had no idea any of this was going on. When I got thrown into the public eye, I wrote an article. I put it on Medium. I didn't think anyone was ever going to read it. And then like a week later, three million people had. So I had no idea about any of this. So the notion that I was, I'm was i a grifter is still like I, I live in New Hampshire. I live in a, like a not like a hundred and fifty thousand dollar townhouse in New Hampshire. I am not rolling in it. <laughs> I feel like it's pretty it's pretty expensive to live in New Hampshire, too. So that's got to be pretty small, I guess, huh? I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's me and my husband. We don't need a whole ton of room. I'm sure. not living in a mansion or anything. You don't have seven kids like us. I, I don't. I have two dogs, but they're little dogs. We so, got seven yeah. kids and we're getting a bloodhound. So it's going to be a big dog. Big That'll dog. be a fun dog. Yeah. We, we look for a lot. We look at a lot of different dogs and I, I, you know, I want something that I can hunt with because there's, it's Iowa. And at some point I'm probably going to hunt because it's Iowa. And, uh, and uh, I wanted some dog that was going to be good at hunting, but also good with babies because we have two babies. And I was like, oh, looking through and it's like bloodhound. It's like the best breed for that. So yeah. so we're getting a bloodhound. It'll be a 140 pound dog, you know, whatever. It's totally fine. I got another super chat that I can't really read. Uh, Lindsay told Ruben on video that CRT was anti-Semitic because it's anti-white and Jewish people are not white. Is CRT anti-Semitic white when convenient? Uh, CRT is everything it needs to be when convenient, to be really honest. Like they change the rules all the time. Like this oppression hierarchy, like think people go up and like different groups go up and down in the oppression hierarchy. Like Asians are probably the best. Well, actually, Jews sometimes make a little bit of appearance. But again, Jews are kind of down at the bottom. So, yeah, I would say that Critical Race is like really anti-Semitic. James Lindsay has a lot of experience being called anti-Semitic for his fighting it um, because that's one of the lines that they use. But let's talk about Asians for a second, because Asians made a comeback in the hierarchy 
when COVID first started and everyone was calling it like Kung flu. Cause I was a very big fan of calling it Kung flu. I just thought that was hilarious. And like the left of course came out and was like, this is racist against Asian people. It is racist to say that this came from China. So at that point, Asians were at the top of the oppression hierarchy and then they dropped right down to the bottom up until they needed another crisis, which is when they took advantage of the mass shooting in Atlanta, where that guy went around to the massage parlors and shot up a bunch of them, and he did it because he had a sex addiction. Um, But then Asians, right back to the top of the hierarchy. So they change the rules all the time. There is is no rule other than they will say and do whatever they need to do to get as much power as they can and to take advantage of any crisis that they can. That's it. Okay, so one one last thing about CRT. Is is it safe to say that it it is partly anti partly anti white yeah of course it's anti white but it's also anti black it's anti latino it's anti asian it's anti native american it's anti everyone and it, it, the thing of it is is like you know why are we prioritizing one race or another or even a better question is why are we playing the left's game and making it about race why are we even playing this game why are we being reactionary to what the left wants us to do because you know what they want more than anything else is a bunch of white people to come out and say this is anti-white because then what they're going to do because they're playing chess while we're all playing checkers they're going to say ha 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 we told you we told you there are all these racists look at them complaining about anti-white white people are not oppressed they're going to spin it to their best advantage and they're going to use it to make it even harder for people like me and people like James Lindsay and people like Chris Rufo and anyone who has put their neck on the line to fight this. And a lot of us have, and a lot of us have sacrificed a lot to do it. It's going to make it even harder on us. I will tell you flat out that when I started seeing this anti-white thing come up, it made it significantly harder for me to convince people that critical race theory was a bad thing. And that's bad for all of us. And so people have got to be strategic. You know, does it, is it, it does it have attributes that are anti-white? Yes, it does, but it's anti-everyone. And we really should be caring about everyone, not just people of one particular skin color. Okay. Well, I, I just wanted to, you know, I think, cause I do, like I said, I still believe that, you know, it's partly anti-white, at least partly, uh, we agree. Right. And I think and I think we that it's agree on I think that, that point, Josh. <laughs> it's more anti-white than it is anti any other race. So I know that there's good people out there who are going to call CRT anti-white that aren't white white supremacists or Nazis or Nazbols or or any of that mm-hmm. stuff. So that's that was like my biggest concern when I saw your guys' argument going back and forth. I was like, "Hey, I'm one of those guys that thinks it's anti-white." You know what I mean? And so uh it was kind of it was kind of nerve-wracking for me. I was like, "Uh, well, is she going to think I'm a white supremacist and a Nazi?" I I would hope that's not, fake you news. know. Okay. Fake okay. news. The reality was, and this is this is this is the thing is, you know, the thing that's going on in your chat right now, I have had thousands of these people coming at me for the last week. And, you know, I'm not going to allow this to happen. I need to block a bunch of people. And so when I'm saying do not say it is anti-white or I'm going to block you, what I'm saying is you are using the same language as actual white identitarians. And I need to be able to tell you people apart. So if you get accidentally blocked because you use the same language because you're trolling on Twitter, I'm sorry, man. I warned you. Sorry, not sorry. And, you know, I was getting thousands and thousands and thousands of these messages i had to be able to manage the situation somehow i'm one person man and so it was just the best way i knew how to do it at the time i'm sorry if i'm not perfect 
but I have never been anything but one of the staunchest opponents against critical race theory sure. in this country. I have taken down. I I broke the Dan Koch be less white story. I I was I was the person that was responsible for the first lawsuit that ever got initiated against this stuff in school. So this idea that I am like somehow in favor of this is just absurd. I'm sorry. It's Who, absurd. How did you uh, tell me more about the the Coke the Coke be less white story? How did how did you break that? How did that go down? So I have whistleblowers sending me uh, information about what's going on in their company in their companies all the time. And I just, you know, opened up my email one morning and there was an email from someone who worked at Coca-Cola saying, Carlin, you're not going to believe this training. And they sent me the slides of it. And that person, by the way, not a white person, Latino, not a white person. And um, and uh, they sent me the slides and I basically just posted it on Twitter and it went just like hugely viral and it had like 27 million views on that one tweet which was just like absolutely insane everyone was sharing it and it was actually really cool because it ended up so coke was using a training that was on linkedin learning and after it got featured everywhere linkedin actually ended up pulling the training um which was actually a really big victory i mean that like victories when you're fighting critical race theory are are few and far between and so for linkedin to pull down that training was a really big victory but the thing that made me the happiest is coke actually actually changed their outgoing voicemail message where if you called the Coca-Cola headquarters for like months afterwards, what it would say is, you may have seen false and erroneous reporting about this diversity training and we didn't really do this thing. They did do the thing. I caught them and I exposed it and then they all lied about it. <laughs> That's wild, man. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that training was obviously anti-white, right? Um, not, uh, not in the way that people think, not in the way that people think. Is it? Yeah. I mean, it is, it is technically, but what people need to understand is how critical race theorists, they play this game with language where they, they define things differently than like you and I as normal people might define them. So when they're saying white, what they mean is the power structure. They're saying whoever owns the power. So black people can be white. Like, congratulations, black people can be white. This happened to Tim Scott, Senator Tim Scott, when he did the response to Joe Biden's big joint speech to Congress. Um, Tim Scott got up as a is a very black man and said, America is not a fundamentally racist country. And he was like raked over the coals on the left. They called him Uncle Tim. Yeah, I remember and that. so, yeah, so like, it, like it was it's one of those things that if you are at the top of the power structure, then you will be considered to have engaged in whiteness. So they're using the language differently. And again, and what people really need to understand is this is all an effort to keep us fighting each other and to keep us divided and to create these divisions that really don't exist when normal people just talk to each other like normal people. That's all it is. They're playing with language to screw with you. Yeah, I've, I have several uh, cool black friends like Eric July and Maj Ture who have been called white supremacists repeatedly, which is uh, always one of the funniest, goofiest fucking things I've ever seen in my life. Call you, Did you call Eric July a white supremacist? What the fuck is wrong with you? I don't know. Well, that's that seems crazy. a little anti-black to me, if I'm gonna say. That I mean, it does. It does. Okay, doesn't it, it sounds anti-black. I uh -huh. mean, yeah, but I mean, it's also uh -huh. it's also trying to use uh, white as a pejorative, so it could still be considered anti-white as well, right? Yeah, it is, but it's also incredibly racist against you know very strong, powerful black men. Oh, like, it's that's horrible. Incredibly racist. Yeah, it's it, racist. It's that. That's racist. <laughs> uh, calling him Uncle Uncle Tom and Coon and all this shit is all. It's all racist. I mean, all that stuff is very, very racist uh, towards blacks. And it's usually perpetuated by, you know, either far left, like middle, upper middle, the mid, upper class, white 
liberals or or uh, other black people usually you know what yeah. I mean and it is racist and I think I think they don't understand how racist they are but they also don't think that you can be racist towards white people you know what yeah I mean? but so. again like why are we playing by their definitions why are we are why are we putting our, our ourselves on their playing field why are we playing by their rules why aren't we creating our own rules to say no black, black people can be racist black people are racist towards Asian American people all the time every time they commit an Asian American hate crime they're being racist towards Asian people I don't know why people just give in to the left and say yes we will follow all the rules you're giving us it's the dumbest play in the book you are under no obligation to play by their rules Sure, sure. We got another uh, super chat from Lion Paul. He said he produced a video regarding the libertarian legal theory, theory and the whole LPNH debacle. It would be interesting of both of you to take a look at it. Absolutely, I'd love to. I'm sure Carlin would as well. Sure. Uh, especially because she lives in New Hampshire and dealt with all this shit first day. I can only imagine. I, I like. I watched this every day, and I'm like, man, I wish I lived in New Hampshire so I could just like be there and see what's going on. Well, it was pretty rad, and I have to I have to do a shout out to the Mises Caucus in New Hampshire because the signal chat was lit the entire week. Like I like I legitimately had a lot of stuff to do that week, but I was glued to the signal chat. I was like, "What's going to happen next in this little soap opera?" It was it was fantastic. Sure, sure. Well, Dr. Carlin, it's been a great chat with you. I really I, I really appreciate you coming on. Why don't you tell all these great people and some of the people who obviously don't like you here uh, <laughs> where they can find you at and or be blocked by you. Yeah, so you can find me. The main channels are uh, on YouTube. I'm under Carlin Borosenko. You can find me on my locals. All the all the the trolls. You have to pay to comment in my locals. So locals is like a troll free zone. Kb.locals.com and on my Twitter, um, which sadly you can comment even if you don't pay me. But if you want to come to if you want to pay me to join my locals, you can totally troll me there. I will take your money and you can insult me and then I will ban you and keep your money. And I feel like that's a pretty good deal that we can all work out with these white identitarians. Hey, you get to say what you want. And and you get paid, you know, why not? Why That's not? I, I want to end this with I believe that the biggest fight that we are experiencing today is collectivism versus individualism. I think that that is uh-huh. our number one fight. Uh, I, I, you know, I have not had my mind completely changed from my stance on CRT. I do still believe that it is more anti-white than it is anti-other races. But I appreciate your time and I appreciate you taking the time to explain your positions uh, clearly for me. Um, you know, I definitely have a lot more to look at when I when I am studying CRT, which I've I've been studying quite a bit. And then we talked a little bit about what's going on here in Iowa, how they're they're actually pushing this kind of subversive language here in Iowa against state law. Uh, yeah. and, and kind of pushing these teachers to learn CRT against state law. And one of the things that they've noticed is that, uh, they're calling, uh, 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 the MAGA or make America great again, a white supremacist, uh, saying, which is just pretty wild to me. I don't know, but I do believe as a libertarian, my biggest fight is always going to be collectivism versus individualism. And, uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's where I'm always going to focus my time on more than any kind of racist shit anyway. So, uh, Dr. Carlin Borsenko, I appreciate you coming on. I, uh, I, I hope that you guys can heal in New Hampshire and not be so fractured going forward. Thank you again. Thank you. And hey, we got Pork Fest this week. A lot, of, a lot to celebrate. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's going to be a lot of weed smoke there. I'm sure of it. <laughs> all, that's all good, man. I'm cool with that. <laughs> awesome. You take care. Thank you so much for coming by. Thank you. All right, guys. Another awesome episode of Break the Cycle. Thank you so much for checking us out. Make sure you check out my sponsors at Lorenzotti.coffee for all your delicious Italian coffee needs delivered directly to your door. Bring the taste of Italy home. Use BTC at checkout for a 10% discount. Of course, my homie, my partner in crime, toplobster.com, where you can get this awesome Break the Cycle synthwave camo hoodie uh, and all kinds of great 
hand-drawn custom uh, apparel items and this great Break the Cycle pillow that you can cuddle with while you watch episodes of Couch Stream from your own couch. Uh, check out executive producer of the show, anthemplanning.com, for all your emergency and crisis planning needs. Uh, check them out. They're wonderful people. See what they can do for you and your business today. Uh, coming up on Friday... I am not doing a show tomorrow. That's why I did my show tonight. Uh, I'm doing a Father's Day thing with my neighbor. I'm pretty excited about that. But coming up on Friday, I got the homie, Will Fight, coming on for episode 46. Uh, He is uh, one of the guys from the National Association of Gun Rights. Uh, Yes, that is a hilarious picture. I know you guys love it. Uh, Will Fight's pretty cool. It was supposed to be Maj Ture, but he had to reschedule for the following week. So I will have Will Fight on a Friday. It's going to be an awesome uh, conversation he's part of the tower gang so it will be fun check out the patreon patreon.com backslash break the cycle js if you hate patreon as much as most libertarians do you can check me out on subscribe star as well subscribe star.com backslash break the cycle js you can also join my youtube channel right here underneath every single video hit the join link you'll get awesome custom badges uh hand drawn by top lobster and of course you can also get uh uh hand drawn emojis coming soon to use in the chat for all these fire live chats we have all the time i love you guys to death even you crazy assholes who came and blow up my my feed uh thank you for for the views i hope you watched the ad at the beginning uh it, so that i can grift my ad revenue into being a, a stay-at-home dad of seven someday uh but i will see you guys on friday for the episode with will fight until then don't forget to break the cycle to explain the lyrics of my last song may seem to contain a violent call to action in the verse in the frame but i just spent it in minecraft the helicopter part was in reference to gta 5 and the things you do so any violence you commit i am not an excuse because i just spent it in minecraft but chipper is my friend and he's constantly cold accusations of incitement getting totally old Make your own choices, yeah, you have control Because I just meant it in Minecraft Obviously I would never advocate force Unless it's due process and a trial, of course And if you're convicted, we will make you a corpse In Minecraft, just in Minecraft There's nothing I mean, you know it No product finish, cause it grows, you call it